Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Toby Altman. And I'm Emily Barton Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poets and poetry. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Hannah Gamble. Hannah Gamble is the author of Your Invitation to a Modest Breakfast, selected by Bernadette Mayer for the 2011 National Poetry Series. Her poems have appeared in American Poetry Review, Poetry, The Believer, Jubilat, and Pleiades. In 2014, she was awarded a Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Fellowship from the Poetry Foundation. We talked to Hannah about her new poem, Men and Women in Movies. In it, she combines anecdote, personal narrative, and cultural criticism to chart the way that gender violence crosses from representation into reality and back again. And just a heads up, in this episode, Hannah talks about sex and sexual assault, and there's some salty language. We started off talking with Hannah about how she found poetry again while she was living in Indiana after several years of not writing. Sometimes when life is the biggest pile of shit stain, you need a creative outlet, and then you find yourself writing poems again for the first time in five years, which is what happened to me when I was maybe, I don't know, 23, 24, living in Bloomington, Indiana, working as a bank teller. Disgusting. Um, Just really hating life, like, in a relationship with the person that I just essentially not wanted to not be with anymore, but I had no clue that I didn't want to be with him anymore. He was like my first love, and I just thought we were in it forever, but... Boy, oh boy, was I just miserable on the regular. So I joined a women's writing class that was very much like, pass the rock around, and when you hold the rock, you can read a line of your poem, you know? And it was very, actually very welcoming. It was just like a very safe and welcoming place where I just felt free to write a poem after not having done so in a long time. But it was so weird. It was like, Within a month of being in that class, I was like, oh, this is what I want to go to grad school for. All of grad school was me just learning what poetry was and the many different ways that people did it. I was just ingesting massive quantities of all the poems that... Um, my fellow students as well as every teacher I ever had was excited about and I was trying to read very widely but perhaps more importantly I was trying to conceal what I really thought about almost everything part of what happened when I lived here in Chicago and wasn't in this tightly knit um, graduate community anymore was that I felt really free writing about, like, my sex life, or even just something like being in love, that I would have felt really shy about, um, you know, being, like, quote-unquote sappy in that way or something um, in a more academic environment. My anonymity in the city when I first arrived gave me, like, this great feeling of freedom, so I wrote, you know, like, first love poem of my life, and and started just also thinking like, what would I love to say to a room full of people that I'm just looking them right in their face and saying like something that I think is true but haven't 
uh, ever felt safe to say. Um, so I don't know. I'm probably still just pushing that a little bit. I never felt like a political person before living in Chicago. And I think a lot of that is because when you grow up in um, a more suburban, like I live in Ten- or grew up in Tennessee and lived in little suburbs and stuff, and everything, very poor people are completely hidden away. Just every everything gets hidden away and separated and I never really knew many people who were different from me growing up. In Chicago, nothing gets hidden as well. You ride the bus with everybody, you drive your car through various parts of town where you see people passed out, people being locked, you know. I once saw this woman um, with not very many teeth and uh she just looked she looked very unhappy and it was hard to tell how old she was because it just seemed like she had had a hard life and she was desperately trying to get into a convenience store and she was just open mouth crying yanking on this door and the shopkeeper had locked her out but he was standing at the door kind of looking at her like I'm sorry, I just cannot let you in here right now. But he was sad, and she was sad, and I was like, it really got to me, because I had just never seen anything like that because there was more thorough segregation of all kinds in where I grew up. So anyway, I think that's how I started to become more political in just uh, thinking about this stuff. I was thinking about the movie Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, and I remember really hating that I just really felt. So the the main character gets raped in the movie, and I remember being distinctly certain that just some part of it was supposed to be a little bit sexy, even though nothing in the movie is saying, like, it was pretty cool how that gross guy raped that lady who we're all rooting for but and it was so many years ago I can't even tell you what gave me that impression but both me and my friend who were watching it were like fuck that movie um for pretty much just that reason so I started writing the poem about that I never had a boyfriend in high school and I was so freaked out whenever men showed interest in me I was just repulsed and panicky Um, so, and then really kind of late high school, early college, that was when all of my first experiences with sexual harassment happened. Then I went abroad, much more sexual harassment slash assault, came back to the States more, you know, then it's just kind of, so I don't know, there's definitely a weird timeline feel to the poem and... It came pretty easily because it's just like the things in my life that I've not known exactly how to deal with forever. I assume that most of the women I know have had a lot happen to them that they're just not, they don't like have a place to remember or talk about or recall or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'd be thrilled if ever 
anything that I write makes other women just more likely to talk about their stuff. All I know is that talking to each other is a good idea, and it seems to me to be a very, um, that just like if you encourage people to not talk to each other out of some sense of like what's appropriate or what's moral or even just like don't be annoying, don't annoy people with your, you know, uh, unsavory story. I know that doesn't benefit me. And when I try to think of like who might that benefit, I'm like, oh, maybe like misogynistic like dudes, maybe um, misogynistic old ladies, maybe just, I don't know, anybody. There are a lot of people that my silence and the silence of other women could really benefit in terms of like, oh, this is very comfortable how uh, how no one's talking about these things. So then I think, oh, I hate those people. So I'm going to do, I want to be just like the nastiest thorn in the side of people who I think don't want the best for me and don't want the best for the people who I love and am rooting for, you know. Men and Women in Movies The difference between the violence to men and women in movies is that the man is smashed over the head with a toilet lid and the woman is mutilated after the villain cuts off her clothes one button at a time. I hate that people who make movies are like, garner ye boners where ye may, or make lemons, murder, into lemonade, boners, via sexualized torture, and even movies that purport to be feminist because they have a strong female lead, which probably just means that the female lead has a mohawk, do this because not every actor, not every director, not every camera guy, not every producer is a feminist, and so if a strong female lead gets raped in a movie, then someone along the Oregon Trail that is the movie set to post-production, to movie poster, to movie trailer, is going to try to make it just a little sexy, even if only registrable in the deep spongy tissue of the one closer to the body ball or at the backmost ceiling of the vaginal atrium. When the hooker shakily and stiffly grabs the back of the man who's strangling her. In our teens, my friends and I wondered if we'd been raped in past lives, considering our aversion to men, our disgust at the thought of sex, our fear of being touched by anyone who wanted us, and how safe we felt around anyone who didn't want us. All these things seemed to be the psychic elements of girls who had been entered by force and finished in by force. I was raised in an evangelical fundamentalist Christian town in Middle Tennessee. Once a boy took me to our church's gift shop to ask which cross necklace he should buy me for my 12th birthday. My Sunday school teacher saw us, me smiling and following the boy around. The teacher brought me into his office to scold me for flirting while he folded church bulletins. He said that I didn't know what I was encouraging the boy to do, 
but that he knew because he was a man and he knew what men thought about, wanted, and were capable of. Despite the fact that I was afraid of sex, I sometimes fantasized about being cornered in a bathroom and forced to. To want to have sex is wrong and makes you a gross person. But to be taken when, as far as is observable, you don't want it and don't ask for it is blameless, I thought. If you go to college, you'll learn about the collective unconscious, and that really changes things. And if you go to college, you'll finally start to learn which men will leave you alone if you sit on their laps but then say no, and which men won't count the no if you've already sat on their laps, and which friends will ask for sexy pictures if you behaviorally lower the drawbridge but will stop asking when you say they should stop asking, and which friends will have to stop being friends because they won't stop asking. There was a famous poet who, later in life, wouldn't let any man into her apartment. Luckily, she liked having sex with women. I had sex with two women and learned that I was straighter than most of the erotic dreams of my teen years seem to have indicated. But a former military leader, energy healer, astrologer in India told his son to tell me that my birth chart indicated that in my 60s I would be so tired of dealing with men that I would romance only women. I read an earlier version of this poem at a music festival, and the man I was with asked me if I thought it was true, that one day I would love only women. I started thinking out loud. I made a speculative list of all the reasons I might be done with men one day. Never mind, he said. We don't have to talk about this anymore. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Chicago, Illinois. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. To find out more about the podcast, check out our website, makenobonespodcast.org, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher, and please consider writing us a review, too. Join us next time for an interview with Mark Turcotte.